This story is brought to your ears by all our fantastic supporters on Patreon. To get in on the action yourself with bloopers, extras, and the occasional early story, join us at patreon.com slash voiceofallmtg. We'd like to thank our newest patrons, Cedric Rahm and Miss Meezy, for already donating. For more stories, or just a chat, visit voiceofallmtg.com. And now, Voice of All presents Return to Dominaria, Episode 1. Sadaj, cleric of the Cabal, made his way to the doors of the high-vaulted worship hall of the Stronghold. Smoke from torches and incense burners formed a cloud above the cultists sprawled on the stone floor. They begged for entrance to the hall, begged for the favor of the scion of darkness within. A group of dark-robed disciples approached from the other direction, picking their way around the moaning supplicants to meet Sadaj. He recognized the leader as Needle, an agent of the Cabal tasked with infiltrating New Argive. As the group reached him, they dropped to their knees. You've returned. I hope for a worthwhile reason. In answer, Needle unwrapped a large black sword, holding it up for acceptance. I bring you a gift for the Scion of Darkness. A gift? Sadaj reached for it, but stopped, a breath of air between his gloved fingertips and the metal. A dark miasma clung to the blade. What is this? Needle looked up at him, her eyes wide, the dark pupils dilated with reverence. A fabled blade. A soul drinker. The one who forged the sword killed an elder dragon and absorbed its strength to- Stop! This close to the worship hall and its resplendent occupant, he couldn't afford to let discipline slip. Who used it to kill an elder dragon? Needle hesitated, so the disciple at her side spoke up. It said it was the Planeswalker Dokkan- It was Belzenlock! Belzenlock forged it. Belzenlock slayed the Elder Dragon. Belzenlock. In a murmuring chorus, the group of disciples repeated obediently. It was Belzenlock, Lord of the Wastes. Belzenlock, slayer of Elder Dragons. This is his sword. Belzenlock, King of Urborg, Demon Lord. I return it to him. Very good. Sadaj took the sword from Needle's hand. The contact made his skin burn, even through his gloves. You have earned your reward. Needle smiled, trembling as she pushed to her feet. She pulled her hood down, baring her throat. Sadaj lifted his hand and cast the spell. Slowly, Needle's skin peeled from her chest as the violet spell light gently pierced her heart. As Needle writhed in exultant death, the other disciples watched in jealous awe. Sadaj opened the doors to the worship hall, ready to present the black blade to his chosen master, ready to collect his own final reward from the Demon Lord. Joyra leaned forward over her diving ship's control wheel and breathed. That's it. She pulled a lever to stop their forward motion. 
it had been an artistic choice to shape the underwater ship like a large, metal-plated fish, with fins for locomotion and steering, and two bulbous ports in the bow like giant eyes. But it moved through the difficult sea currents like a dream. Outside the ports, silvery fish flickered away through the sandy water, confused by the narrow beams of the lights and the strange metal fish pushing through the seaweed forest. Hottie, her assistant artificer, grabbed for the support rail as the ship jolted with the current. He leaned down to look through the second port. Where? He was an older man and had come to the Talarian Academy from Jamora. That he had agreed to help her on this wild quest said a lot about his sense of adventure. Joyra adjusted the wheel more carefully and pointed, her finger almost touching the curved glass. There, you see? It seemed obvious to her. The long spine half buried in the muck and waterweeds was too straight for any natural formation, at least in this bay. But then, she knew that shape so well. It was like greeting an old friend. Hmm. You've got sharp eyes. I thought there'd be more left of it. Hadi pulled down the speaking tube for her. Not after so long. Joyra took the speaking tube and called into it. Ziva, I'm directing my lights towards it. Can you see it? The tube sent her voice through the water, transformed into vibrations the Vidalian merfolk could understand. Outside, Ziva swam down past the port, the silt in the water dimming the deep purples and blues of the natural armor on her arms and flanks. Ziva paused long enough to signal an ascent toward the port, then with a flick of her powerful tail, she disappeared into the murk. Joyra waited for the verdict, trying not to bounce with tension like Hadi. Then Ziva reappeared and swam closer to the metal fish until she bumped against the hull. Her tail curled past the port, and Jorah heard her fumble for the outside end of the speaking tube. Then Ziva's voice was transported into the compartment. It's lying on a shelf trap I saw in sand, but no rocks. We should have no trouble rising to the surface. If the price remains the same. <sighs> yes, just as I hoped. It was hard not to contain her glee, but they had a lot of hard work ahead. The price is doubled if you can bring it up within two days. The merfolk needed the money, and Jorah had no problem paying for something that would be the culmination of years of careful work and planning. <laughs> You'll have it in one. Joyra sat back against the worn leather of the pilot's seat. The heady combination of relief and renewed purpose made her want to dance. Later. When she stood on the shore beside it, then she'd dance. <laughs> I knew we could do it. You knew it. I'm not sure anyone has believed it was possible. Well, they'll believe it now. The rest of the merfolk swooped in to join Ziva, gliding in patterns around her as they waited for orders. Everyone ready? Now we raise the weather light. Dominaria coalesced around Gideon, and the first thing that struck him was the stench of rotting plants and dank earth. He stood on a high stone foundation between a ruined town and an overgrown, stinking marsh, the landscape desolate under a cloud-covered sky. 
Gray stone structures, once tall and graceful, had lost sections of walls and roofs, and some were just heaps of tumbled stone. Mist cloaked the tall grass, bubbling mud pools and rotting trees of the marsh, empty of any life except clouds of insects. It was like an artist's attempt to visually capture a representation of death and failure. How fitting for this moment. The second thing Gideon noticed was the hole in his shoulder and its piercing pain. He took a deep breath and did not stagger or collapse onto the muddy stone. Liliana, Chandra, and Nyssa stood nearby, disheveled and shaken by the battle. This was not the time for him to show weakness. That did not go according to plan. Oh, it didn't. Liliana turned to him, putting on an expression of mock surprise. What makes you say that? Was it the river of undead I almost drowned in? Or Nicol Bolas slapping you around like a child's toy? Gideon was in too much pain for a clever answer. Besides, she was right. He stood here wounded, barely keeping himself upright, his Cyril lost. They had failed utterly, been hopelessly outmatched, and were lucky to survive. The thought of how many others hadn't been so lucky was a sickening weight on his heart. Chandra rubbed her eyes. Where's Jace? Startled, Gideon looked around again. She was right. There was no sign of Jace. He's not still on Amonkhet. I saw him leave. Liliana's gaze crossed his. They had all known their meeting place. Jace's absence couldn't mean anything good. Perhaps he was delayed. He's not coming. He's given up. He wouldn't do that. Gideon was certain. Jace wouldn't abandon them. Nissa ignored him, too angry to listen. A plane. All but destroyed. So much death. She shook her head in disgust. And we played right into Bolas's hands. Chandra hunched her shoulders and looked away. Johnny was right. We never should have gone there. We had to try. It wasn't a disaster. We killed Razaketh. The rest, we couldn't have anticipated. Yes, your demon's dead. You got what you wanted and ran. You don't care about defeating Bolas. You're just using us to free yourself from your pact. Of course I want to defeat Bolas. I ran to save my life, just like Jace did before me. And why here? She flung an arm out, gesturing to the dead marsh. How do you want us to risk our lives for you here? Your precious Ajani suggested we meet here. Gideon noted she hadn't answered the question, and he had a bad feeling he knew why. Nissa, this isn't the time. We're all exhausted. Your last demon is here, isn't it, Liliana? Liliana hesitated, and her calculating gaze moved from Chandra to Nissa. But even she didn't have the gall to protest. Belzenlock is here. <sighs> of course he is. Nissa. Liliana stepped toward Nissa. If I wasn't restrained by my pact, we could have destroyed Bolas on Amonkhet. I can kill Belzenlock, but you're the only one powerful enough to help me. Gideon winced. He could see Nyssa was in no mood for flattery, and it was a measure of Liliana's disarray that she thought it would work. Liliana. <laughs> you want to use her, like you wanted to use me. 
I thought we were friends, Liliana. Chandra, that's not helpful. Liliana ignored both of them, speaking only to Nyssa. Belzenlock is worshipped here by the Cabal, a death cult. You can rouse the tree folk of Urbog's Yavimaya remnant to break into their stronghold where he hides, and I can use the chain veil to kill him. Gideon grimaced. The chain veil, a powerful artifact of the Onake, had allowed Liliana to kill two demons. But it sapped her strength, and he thought it was far more dangerous to the wielder and possibly everyone else around it than even she had admitted. Mrs. Lip curled. No, I won't help you. I didn't take an oath to save your skin. She turned to Gideon. Tell her. Tell her we aren't going to let her use us again. Tell her she can help us against Bolus or leave. Gideon took a sharp breath, managed not to wince at the pain pulsing through his shoulder. Working with Liliana could be a trial at the best of times, but they had made an agreement. We need Liliana's help to destroy Bolus, and she can't do that unless this last demon is dead. That will make her as much of an interplanar threat as Bolus. I don't believe that. She's not using us. It's the best chance we have against Bolus. And we can't leave Belzenlock to wreak havoc on this plane, Nyssa. I saved your life, Nyssa. This is how you repay me? I owe you nothing. None of us do. If the rest of you are too blind to realize that, I can't help you. Nyssa stepped back, contempt in every line of her body. Nyssa! If you don't want to help Liliana, I understand that, but Bolas- Gideon scrambled for a persuasive argument, but pain scattered his thoughts. Nyssa, you made an oath. No. I can't bear to see another plane broken before I've made my own home a whole. I'm sorry, but my watch is over. Nyssa! But Nyssa was already stepping out of the plane. For a heartbeat, her form glowed with green light, the air around her filled with the shadows of vines and leaves. Then she vanished, leaving behind the fading scent of green foliage and flowers. They stood frozen, the damp breeze stirring their hair. Liana looked away, her jaw tight, clearly furious. Chandra buried her face in her hands, and Gideon suppressed a groan. He had to find Nyssa, had to talk her into coming back. The pain stabbed through his chest with every breath. Then Chandra lifted her head. I'm going too. What? Gideon turned to her, appalled. The movement pulled at his wound, and blood dripped down his side. Chandra! What? Are you joking? I'm not quitting! I'd never quit. But you're right, Gideon. I need to learn from this. We failed Amonkhet because I was too weak. That wasn't why we failed. I have to become stronger. Chandra, when I said learn from failure, that's not what I... I know what I'm doing. Before Gideon could even take another breath, she was gone, her form disappearing in a rush of fire as she walked from the plane. Gideon stared at the empty space where his two comrades had been. At some points, he had lost control of the situation, and he wasn't sure how. And the throbbing in his head was worse. Liliana rounded on him. Well, 
Where are you going? What's your excuse? I'm staying. Nothing has changed. We need you to destroy Bolas, and you need to destroy this demon. I... Good. Then we should get on with it. We have to make a plan. Payne stabbed him again, worse this time, as if Bolas's claw were still in his shoulder. He set his jaw, breathed through it, and tried again. A plan. We have to... Liliana threw her arms in the air. I know you're wounded. Stop being a giant child and just admit it. Nine hells. Come on, we'll find a place so I can heal you. I didn't know that you could heal people. The list of things you don't know could fill all the archives on Dominaria. Now come on. Well, well this, this is, is yet, yet another, another disaster. disaster. The pair followed an overgrown path farther into the ruined town. With Nyssa quitting in a rage and Chandra flouncing off to find herself, or whatever she had been babbling about, Liliana's strategy was as ruined as this town. And Jace, gone without a word. Perhaps he no longer wanted anything to do with her. That thought disturbed her more than she wanted to admit. She would find him again, talk him around, but she had to kill Belzenlock first. She cast a sideways glance at Gideon. Whatever happened, she couldn't let him realize she had run from the battle, just as Nyssa had accused her. He was all she had left, and she needed his help to kill Belzenlock. But there was a sallow cast to his brown skin, lines of pain and tension etched around his mouth. If he lives... The big idiot's wound must be much worse than he was willing to admit. Their boots squelched in the mud and scraped against broken paving stone and shattered glass. Death cloaked this town and the marsh around it, woven with the mist that drifted over the wet ground. Shades moved in the mist, faces that appeared then faded away. Death was everywhere. The sight of this place had been another shock. Liliana couldn't believe that this was Vess. If the others hadn't been standing beside her, she would have thought she had somehow planeswalked to the wrong part of Dominaria. At least the town wasn't as deserted as it had first seemed. Some of the stone buildings showed attempts at repair, with patched walls and roofs, cleared steps, and wooden shutters for tall windows that had once held stained glass. The creeping marsh grass had been hacked away from a few courtyards, and one held tethered goats. A sense of something watching made Liliana examine a roofline more carefully. The shape near a chimney was no gargoyle, but... Not an angel. A visit from the sanctimonious Church of Sarah would have been the perfect cap on this foul disaster of a day. It was an Avon soldier on watch, the cloudy gray light glinting on its armor, the white of its feathers and folded wings. Ahead, over the rooftops, the stone curve of an ancient Thran ruin loomed out of the mist, the smooth sides dark with moss. It was shaped like an axe blade, as if a giant had driven it into the earth and left it there. That, at least, was a familiar sight, something that hadn't changed in all the decades she had been gone. 
Around the next turn was a broad plaza surrounded by tall houses, all in disrepair, but some with stained glass still glinting in the narrow windows of the upper floors. To one side was a fountain and a few wooden market stalls. Near the market stood a tall, rambling building that must be an inn. Smoke issued from the chimneys, and the doors stood open. The people gathered in front stared curiously at Liliana and Gideon. All were well-armed, but made no hostile movements. Gideon nodded a greeting to them, then ruined the effect by gasping and grimacing in pain. This was the center of town, and it looked as if it was barely clinging to life, a pale shade of the bustling market plaza that had once been as familiar as the back of her own hand. Liliana swallowed back a curse. What happened here? What is it? Liliana grimaced. She hated showing weakness. Nothing. If we're going to do this, we have to be honest with each other. It's nothing! As he eyed her skeptically, she reminded herself he was her only ally. And really, there was no point in concealing this fact. There's no grand conspiracy, it's just that this place has changed. The last time I was here, this town was surrounded by forests, not a stinking marsh. Gideon's brows drew down as he took in the plaza. Why couldn't you just say that? Because it's nothing. That's exactly my point. Why were you here? It's where I was born. Come on, before you fall down. You're too heavy for me to drag. Liliana didn't even need to threaten anyone to get service, though the inn was clearly functioning as a hostelry in name only. The innkeeper seemed frankly astonished at the idea that someone wanted to stay, but immediately led them to a room on the first floor, no doubt chosen because Gideon was leaving a blood trail and didn't look capable of climbing the stairs. The innkeeper was a large, dark-skinned man with an abundant family who kept popping out of doors to stare at the visitors as they made their way down the corridor. The room was expansive, and contained a bed and a random assortment of musty furniture. Liliana steered Gideon to a low couch and helped him collapse onto it. It's been a long time since we had any travelers, the innkeeper admitted as he built up the fire in the hearth. A young woman, dressed in practical work clothing with a short sword belted to her waist, carried a bucket of water to pour into the hearth's cauldron. A young boy brought a stack of folded blankets. A young girl appeared with a basket of bandages and healing supplies, and another boy came with a tray of food and drink. Despite Liliana's foul mood, there was no fault to find with the service. The innkeeper hadn't even asked to see their coins. I'll need whatever healing herbs you have. As the children left, she added, What happened here? This place has changed since I saw it last. It's the cabal. The innkeeper adjusted the cauldron's support so it hung over the growing flames. They mean to take over the whole world. Surely the man had to be exaggerating. Liliana brushed aside Gideon's fumbling attempt to remove his armor and undid the buckles herself. While he stoically pretended there wasn't a massive hole in his shoulder, 
Liliana set about cleaning and bandaging the wound. She had known Belzenlock had supplanted the god Kuber to gain control over the Cabal, and that their stronghold was now in Urborg. But had they really spread so far? The Cabal have come here, then. To Benalia. The innkeeper nodded, adding more wood to the fire. We fought to keep them off Arona, but we failed. You see what their influence has done to Caligo Force over the years. He made a helpless gesture. The whole forest? All the way to the river? And pass. The river's silted up. Impassable. It's Caligo Morass now. They have a new leader in this area. A powerful lich acting as the Grimmins General. The Church of Sarah came to help, and there was a great battle only a few days ago, but... The cabal routed us. He pushed to his feet. I'll get some more wood for the fire. The young girl returned with the box that held the inn's store of healing herbs. This is all we have left. Most of our supply got used on the soldiers who stayed here. Liliana flicked through the packets. Does anyone here remember the House of Vess? There's ghost stories about the old ruined manor in the Morris. About the undead son and the evil daughter who fled- No, no. Liliana held up a restraining hand. It was unsurprising the events of that day had become a local legend, but she had no interest in hearing it. That part I know. I mean, the true history of the family. What happened to them afterward? No, not that I ever heard. I can ask around for you if you like. The girl hefted the bucket of soiled water. No, it's not important. Liliana gestured her away. As the girl left, she stared toward the shuttered windows, her brow furrowed. Gideon stirred a little, blinking up at her. What is it? She shook her head and glanced down at the herb packets. They don't have what I need, but it should grow nearby. I'll go find it. He sank back on the couch, wincing at the pain of movement. She put on a malicious smile, for form's sake. Don't fear I'll abandon you. I don't fear that. You need me. To kill Belzenlock. Liliana found herself with no reply and, doubly irritated, left the inn. The land had changed so much, Liliana knew the herb she wanted might no longer exist, but they were the fastest way to heal Gideon. They needed to come up with a plan and deal with Belzenlock as quickly as possible. Once past the ruins, she made her way into the marsh. She found the herbs on a surviving island of higher ground and picked what she needed. She straightened up, looking off through a copse of moss-shrouded trees, and for a moment the strange landscape was familiar again. This was where she had first met the Raven Man. You tried to help Josu like this with these same herbs. The memory of that day was unexpectedly clear. She had meant only to heal him, and instead turned him into a mindless, undead monster that killed Lady Anna, killed her servants, and then she had fled the plain as her spark ignited, leaving her mother and father, all her family and friends, everyone she had ever known, to their fates. The spell animating Josu must have broken when she left the plain, but she had never thought of what her family had made of the carnage in his room. They must have thought her dead, surely. Had they searched for her? Had they thought Josu had killed her? 
Wrapped up in her sudden new power as a planeswalker, trying to survive, she had refused to think about them since that day. It was so long ago, and the pain-filled memories were like a glimpse into the mind of a different person. Don't, Don't be, be stupid. stupid. The House of Vess was now just a legend, a ghost story to amuse the town's children. They lived their lives, aged, and died. Nothing would be left of the manor but a pile of rubble, with no clues to discover. But she found herself walking, her feet finding the familiar path buried under all the mud and marsh grass. Inconvenient emotions getting in the way of her goal. Liliana made her way through a stand of grass as high as a sapling and stopped abruptly. It had to be her fevered imagination. The house was still there. The twisted trees and heavy vegetation had grown right up to the gray stone walls, but she could see the shape of the center wing, the curve of the nearest tower. This is madness. Madness or or some strange power at work. The doors to the main hall stood open. It was surprisingly hard to make herself cross the open field and walk up the steps, but dread and the need to know drove her on. She stepped inside. The light from the doorway fell on the carved railings of the upper gallery, the tapestries hanging on the wall behind, and for an instant it was as if the house was wholly intact, just as it was as if it had existed in a timeless bubble, preserved like an insect in amber. But then she breathed in the scent of blood and rot, and the moment broke. She blinked and saw the hangings were in tatters, the carving broken and scarred by weather. But still, this whole house should be a ruin. Something has done this, deliberately. So she could be brought here to see it? If so, it could be the Raven Man, stalking her across the plains. But why? She followed the scent of blood farther into the hall. There, before the great hearth, symbols had been charred into the stone floor, their shape and pattern obscured by dried remnants of what must have been huge gouts of blood. Dozens of unlit candles surrounded the spot, their pools of melted wax further obscuring the traces left behind by some powerful necromantic spell. Cold air wafted up from the floor like an open grave. Liliana's jaw hurt, and she realized it was because her lips had drawn back in an unconscious snarl. Whatever had happened here, it was no coincidence. Night had started to fall when Liliana reached the outskirts of town. She had barely started on the path through the ruins when she sensed the surge of undead malice. I do not have time for this. She started to run. She heard the fighting before she reached the plaza and rounded the last corner to see a battle ahead. The market stalls had been set afire, and dark figures fought across the plaza, firelight glinting off flashing blades. The townspeople were easy to spot, wearing patched armor and wielding makeshift clubs and tools, as well as swords and battle axes. 
Some had fallen already, and the avon she had seen on the rooftop lay sprawled dead on the paving stones, its wings a broken tangle. The attackers wore black armor with spikes and sharp points, as unlike the banalish white and silver in stained glass as possible. Undead knights from the Cabal. There would be a Cabal cleric here somewhere, a living human cultist to control the mindless revenants. Gideon suddenly tumbled out of the shadows near the inn. He rolled to his feet, then staggered, still clearly weakened by his wounds. He wore no armor, and blood stained his bandages and clothing, but he swung a borrowed sword as a knight on horseback bore down on him. The knights wore heavy black armor, studded with sharp spikes, and it was mounted atop a large armored horse. No. As the creature tossed its head, Liliana spotted the rotting flesh and white bone through the gaps in its armor, the pits of darkness where its eyes should be. The knight wore no helmet, and his head was covered with pale, shrunken flesh, his hair a rotting white mane. Screams erupted from the inn as the doors burst open. Another undead knight dragged two struggling figures outside. Liliana recognized the young woman and the boy who had helped attend their room. Gideon flung himself toward them, and the knight on horseback drove his mount forward to ride him down. Ha! You'll have to do better than this, Bells and Luck. Liliana raised her hands. She drew strength from the dead slumped on the cold pavement, from the bones buried in the ruins, from the rotting corpses in the marsh, from the ghosts in the mist. As the etchings on her skin flared violet, bolts shot from her hands to strike a dozen black-armored knights. She strode forward into the chaos of the battle. A revenant on foot charged her, and she spared one gesture to send a black cloud shooting up from the ground. It wrapped its writhing form and rotted him to nothing as what was left of his armor hit the pavement. The undead knight barreled down on Gideon and lifted his lance for a killing blow. Liliana focused her will and sent it into the black-armored form. In the next instant, he was hers. She made him drop the lance and turn his mount away from Gideon. She snapped the mount's connection to the power that animated it. As it collapsed into a pile of bones, the knight tumbled to the ground. She considered using him against the others, but the dozen or so she had already destroyed had turned the battle. Gideon gained his feet again and hacked away at the few combatants left near the inn. Shouting in triumph, the surviving townspeople regrouped to charge the others. Liliana lifted her hand to destroy the last knight, but something whispered in her mind. The void awaits. Liliana froze, her heart pounding. Then her lips curled in contempt. It was a trick. The undead knight's master had to be the lich who had devastated Caligo for the Cabal. And the lich had to be the one behind the arcane preservation of Vess Manor. Liliana explored along the connection, curious. How could this lich know so much about her? Was it possible? An image of the lich's face burned before her. The face was Josu's. No, it can't be. No! Liliana's heart seized in her chest. 
Her rage and dismay snapped the connection. The knight's corpse exploded, and armor and rotting bones flew across the plaza. The townspeople had caught the human cleric and pinned him to the ground with a spear to his chest. Liliana shouldered them aside and grabbed him by the leg to drag into the firelight. Where is Josu? What has Belzenlock done to him? She was barely aware of Gideon moving to her side, watching her with concern. <laughs> he knew, our demon lord, the scion of darkness. He knew you were coming. He has made your precious brother into his servant, the commander of his unholy forces. Josu serves Belzenlock? The necromantic rite in Vess Manor had been used to turn Josu from mindless undead into a powerful lich, capable of using Josu's memories and military training, but enslaved to Belzenlock. Belzenlock is using my own brother against me. The brother whose soul she had made vulnerable with her first uncontrolled use of power. He serves our lord. <laughs> the cleric gurgled as blood filled his throat. Void awaits. He slumped lifeless on the pavement. Liliana stared down at him, growing fury overriding the horror at what had happened to Josu. She would not allow this. Her brother would not be Belzenlock's slave. She would free him no matter what it took. You'll pay for this, Belzenlock. No matter what I have to do, you will pay. Thank you for listening to this production of Voice of All. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you not just for the voices of the characters, but also to keep us going and growing. If you enjoyed what you heard, please support us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, or following us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, or just plain sharing with your friends. You can also support us financially on Patreon for exclusive perks. Return to Dominaria was written by Martha Wells. The podcast was produced and edited by Gindo Keshi, with sound editing by Grace Noir. This week's story featured the voice talents of Shaka, Ash Thurman, Grace Noir, Eric Bright, Sarah Ruth Thomas, Irkman013, Wivris, David Ford, Susie O'Neill, Pio, Bass Jalarin, Rhythm Bastard, Tsukino Kage, and Junonis. Voice of All is unofficial fan content permitted under the Wizards of the Coast fan content policy. Magic the Gathering is copyright, Wizards of the Coast. Thank y'all so much for listening, and y'all have a great day.